A very warm welcome to all our listeners today. You're listening to Professor David Black. Together we'll be looking up in wonder at the awesomeness and at the grandeur and at the splendors of our sky above. Different numbers to reach me at as you listen live or via podcast. But certainly if you're listening live... You can dial me at zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. That's zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. My Twitter handle is at Starry Galaxy Man, and I just enjoy all the followers I have in their comments. So if you want to reach me personally, I'm at Starry Galaxy Man. However, if you want to tweet right now, we are at CliffCentral.com. So at CliffCentral.com, if Twitter is the favorite social medium that you use. Facebook is trivial at uh, Cliff Central. Same for WeChat ID, Cliff Central, and so forth. But uh, the most common way of reaching me, of course, is the WeChat uh, Cliff Central, and we do hope to hear from our regular callers and listeners and uh, names such as Inappropriate and many others. We look forward. Today's topic is going to be looking at the top 25 images of the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, as you know, you get the top 100 hits or the top 50 hits, and I'd like to go to the top 25 um, so there should be a listing for the top 25 in the Guardian. Uh, there we are, somewhere around there. And uh, so are we going to look at Hubble at 25, the best images from the Space Telescope in pictures? And I'm going to lead you through this. So all you need do is if you want to follow me, you punch in uh, in Google, a Guardian, that's the, you know, the Guardian in the UK, G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N, Hubble 25, H-U-B-B-L-E, and then 25 best images. So you just Google Guardian Hubble best images. That'll do it, and that'll bring up what I'm going to be leading you through today. Now, of course, space and astronomy really, uh, Married hand in hand many, many years ago, I think back to the year, for example, of uh, 1969, I was still at school. And as a schoolboy in Krugersdorp, I uh, listened intently to the radio. Those were long before the days of television. These were the days of radio. And it was announced that man would be landing on the moon in the year uh, 1969. And so I followed the landing very, very carefully. And I remember it was in the early hours of the morning. It was at 4 minutes to 5 a.m., 4.56 a.m., South African Standard Time, when uh, suddenly these words echoed round the globe. That's one small step for man, one giant leap 
for mankind. And I just think that was so neat. We couldn't have expressed it any better that it was a small step for man, but a giant leap for mankind. Uh, do reach me by phone or on WeChat if you heard those words or if you've read about those words, because certainly those words were revolutionary in terms of marrying astronomy, the skies above, with uh, the cosmos, um, with the cosmos. But I suppose that as we explored uh, the moon, those were really the days of the beginning. You know, now we've explored not only Mars, not only have we sent spacecraft to Mars, such as Spirit and Opportunity to actually traverse the Martian terrain, but we've actually examined uh, planets right as close to the sun as Mercury. So, you know, today the era is one of spacecraft and cameras carried by spacecraft. I was just looking before coming into studio at cameras carried by remotely controlled objects. And I was looking at some of the most incredible images by drones, Duncan, of the, um, of images on Earth. And, uh, they really are, uh, just absolutely spectacular, the top images. The, uh, the actual images by drone of cities and so forth are absolutely uh, remarkable. They are breathtaking. Uh, we're trying to find the web page which shows us some of these images. Um, but let's keep those Hubble 25 up for now. And uh, Duncan's just going to do a little search on his screen for uh, images through drone, for example, of St. Petersburg or of Milan, or of the Ukraine. There are some incredible images just released by drones. But back to the central argument is this, that uh, cameras initially were carried by hand, of course. And we think back to the early days of Nieps and de Geur and Talbot and others, and they would carry their cameras by hand. But of course, now cameras are carried by remotely controlled um, objects. For example, uh, drones. Uh, we've got some images coming up now by uh, taken by drones, and they really are um, really amazing images. I can see one on screen of Saint Petersburg. Uh, there's another one here. Uh, coming up, they're just zillions coming up. But the point that I'm really making is that, you know, to me, the way of really capturing the cosmos, of course, we can do so much from the ground and we'll continue to do so. But to me, one of the most awesome ways of capturing views of space without actually going there is also, is also to use cameras carried, for example, by spaceborne telescopes or in the case of terrestrial photography, by means of these drones. So there are images, for example, of the statues around the world and the cities around the world on drones and so forth. But uh, inappropriate says already, and a very hearty welcome to you, inappropriate. It's always just so great to know that you are just the most faithful of listeners. Inappropriate says, wow, some of those colors that exist in outer space are unimaginable. Well, that is so true. 
I think that every time, in fact, somebody brought me an image the other day taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, and uh, they said to me, is this real, or is this uh, just a, you know, a photoshopped image? Are these images actually real? And Duncan, who's... um, our sound engineer today is producing on the screen the top 25 and we'll be going through them. But yes, those colors are real. And I suppose inappropriate, and you can tell me whether I'm wrong, but when I look at images like that, it does at first sight look as if they are painted or photoshopped. I mean, it, they, they do look incredible. For example, at this image, Duncan, what do you see? I mean, I, I will tell you scientifically what we see, but what do you see from, uh, you know, if I were to show that to you, do you, would you have believed this isn't a real live image or would you believe this was somehow a trick photography or photoshopped? What would your first uh, thoughts be, Duncan? Uh, just like inappropriate said, Professor, uh, all these things look unimaginable to the human being. So yes. from seeing picture number mm-hmm. one yes. of the Hubble, yes. what strikes pictures, you? I, I really, I can't think of anything. I, I could never have imagined this, Professor. No. I don't know where to start. No, I know one. Well, that's lovely. I don't know where to start because I think that's why I'm here today is to help you start is, uh, is, is exactly that. But I think the, the key point is, you know, the ethos expressed by um, inappropriate and by Duncan is that one simply doesn't know where to start because you just see seeing such incredible images. So this image that Duncan and I are looking at, the first one, is the center of a young grouping of stars. Uh, stars are born out of GMC. So let me just explain. A GMC is a giant molecular cloud of gas. So just think of it this way. You've got a huge ball of gas, and it's rotating, and it's collapsing, and it's big. So that as this GMC, or giant molecular cloud, collapses, uh, it gives birth to baby stars. Now, the interesting thing is this. What colors would or should baby stars be? Well, let me give you a little thought experiment to help you on your way. Think of the following. If you were to place an iron poker in a furnace, what color would it first glow? It would first glow red. Then, if you keep the iron rod in the furnace, it will start glowing a whitish color. Then, if you keep it and you let it heat up and up and up, when it gets to its hottest, it will be blue. And then, after that, it'll start melting. So, in other words, this is very interesting. In astronomy, blue means hot, and red means cool or even cold. It's the exact opposite to the way our taps are marked, Duncan. Our taps are marked, you know, when you take a shower, you turn on the red one first in winter, and then a little bit of blue, and away you go. In astronomy, blue stars are the young ones. Blue stars are the hot ones. And so blue is hot. And so in this image, which I'm seeing to my right, are, you know, hundreds or dozens and hundreds yet of blue stars scattered throughout the image. Those are young, hot stars. Not cool. They're hot because they're blue. 
and so they've just been born a few million years ago. And uh, I just think it's incredible. You know, I am the f- proud father of three boys, Aaron, aged 23, and twin boys, as you know, named by Nelson Mandela and Conquesi and Katile. But the interesting thing is that when one is pregnant on earth, there's a story behind it, each pregnancy. Now, it's exactly the same in space. The image, the image that is before me is the image, just like when my wife was pregnant with twins, the gynecologist could show me images of the babies, uh, developing the fetus, developing, developing inside the womb. Here, we're looking at stellar obstetrics and gynecology. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at the very birth of stars. And so what you can see in this image is this. You've got swirling clouds of gas and of dust. And so that is exactly what I've told you about. You've got these giant clouds of cosmic dust mixed with cosmic gas. And eventually those clouds collapse and give rise to these um, young uh, star clusters. It is this one, this first one of the Hubble Top 25. It really is one of the most awesome images I see. First of all, I see red colors and orange colors, which means the cooler regions. But then towards the right of the frame, I see just myriads of these young, hot blue stars being born. And I suppose that's what I love so much about my job is my job is, in a sense, uh, I'm a professor in a very true sense of stellar obstetrics and gynecology. I study the birth of stars and of galaxies. And to me, uh, this is incredible. If you have any questions, inappropriate and others, on this incredible image, the first one, with the uh, with the uh, uh, Hubble Space Telescope and the top 25, please just feel free to contact us on the contact details using the contact details provided. But I think what I'd also like to say about the, what, the top one of 25 is that you've got a mixture here between science and art. On the one hand, there's so much science. Uh, that is absolutely true. But uh, on the other hand, it does look, doesn't it, Duncan, as if some artist has gone and depicted this by means of a canvas brush. So would you agree with me, Duncan, that this is a mix, beautiful mix between art on the one hand and uh, science on the other? But what does an image like this do to you, uh, someone, Duncan, who is not an astronomer? Because I'm very interested to know what a picture like this actually means to somebody else well firstly professor i would have to say that uh, god is an artist professor that's beautiful yeah. i just think that's beautiful yeah god i is, think it's so profound god is an artist professor and uh, just from seeing this image that i just tweeted out mm-hmm. so you can just follow the image on uh, cliffcentral.com on our twitter oh great you'll see that uh, it's just uh it makes you believe that there's some Kind of other wonder yes. out there. Yes. So, uh, yes. Yes. Let's just leave it there, Professor. Amazing, amazing picture. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, 
Well, I need to listen to the podcast as to follow Duncan's exact words. But uh, what he's actually saying is that uh, God, there's God, is awesome, and God exists outside space and time. But this image to Duncan really uh, almost speaks forth. Of the handiwork of the creator Just remind me of your first words Duncan as you put it You said something like an image like this Just tell me your first words again I said uh, an image like this professor Is just uh, unimaginable To to the human being who hasn't studied anything To do with science So it kind of makes you want to believe in some kind of Other wonder Exactly it makes you kind of believe in some other wonder And so that's what I love too Because I also like Scratching deep beneath the surface To find out what that other wonder is And as many of you might know I sincerely believe Sincerely so And I know that I know that I know that God is a very, very real person to me. Uh, and this is terribly important. Is uh, Religion is dead, and religion has been dead for a long, long time. I, you know, I'm, I, I always demarcate the difference, Duncan, between religion and a personal relationship, because if God is alive, God is real, and there's a personal relationship with him. And, uh, you know, the psalmist David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. I think that as I see this, I think of Einstein's words to God does not play dice. I think of the beauty of the heavens above. And I think that's what really made me fall in love with astronomy, Duncan, all those years ago, was that somehow when I looked at, not this image, of course, but uh, when I looked at images like of Saturn, which we'll see just now, uh, they made me wonder what lies, what is the wonder behind the wonder, to use Duncan's phrase, which I think is should be put down in the history books. <laughs> what makes me wonder behind the wonder? Duncan, and any other thoughts as you just gaze upon this image? I mean, here you are, you're a master at your work of uh, studio and audio and so forth, but... Uh, uh, you know, I'm just so interested to tease your brain, as it were, uh, just as to um, what you are feeling. We've got some questions and thoughts up on the screen. Uh, Brad, a brilliant show today, following the pictures online while you talk. Well, that's awesome, Brad. I just... Uh, there's something about those top 25 images that really just turns me wild. I think that they are just so extraordinary. They are just so beautiful, Brad, that uh, to me, let me encourage each one of you. Uh, some of you might believe in God. Some of you might not. But the key point I want to stress is this. To me, there is a wonder behind the wonder. And the important thing is I would love you, each one of you, to Google these images. Duncan's already placed one on the Twitter feed. But these images, I mean, if I woke up on a morning feeling down, and if I woke up on a morning feeling that, you know, my life is purposelessness, all I would need to do is go to the bathroom and just put put one of these images on the, um, say, the, on, on my mirror or on my mirror wall. And I think I would come away, as I often do, with a real sense of wonder. And, uh, you know, I suppose that's the whole reason that I'm alive today is 
I want to mentor others to wander beyond the wonder. I want them to be filled with purpose. There's so much depression in the world today. Antidepressants are doing an all-time high. I cannot even begin to tell you how many people in Johannesburg are depressed. They might not tell you that, but they're depressed. And also, uh, you know, just multitudes are addicted, uh, really. I mean, I see this. Um, I remember my son, my elder son, was still at high school, and he walked into a room. And you know, Duncan, as he walked into this room, I walked in, and he sat down with his friends, and uh, his friends were all addicted. Uh, what were they addicted to? They were addicted to the, the blue fun. screen. This, the screen, exactly mm. so. And so they were addicted and they didn't even recognize me when I walked in, recognize my presence. They simply sat glued to the screen. So that's not living in a state of wonder. My, you know, Aaron's friends were living in a state of addiction. And I think these Hubble images try and lift me up. Neville, welcome to Looking Up with David Block. How are you? I'm good, thanks, David. Lovely to hear your voice. Please share your thoughts of looking at the wonder behind the wonder. Amen. You know, as you know, the Bible says, in the latter days, people shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Yes. And, and of course, knowledge is increasing at an alarming rate. That is true. And in your sphere, it seems it's the same thing. Absolutely. The more powerful your telescopes, the more is revealed, the more the wonders, the more the... As has been mentioned in the program, it's actually mind-blowing. Yes. Can you see a time when your telescope or whatever would be such that you will actually find the end of the universe? Uh, That's a very interesting question. Is I would really put it this way. Will there ever be a time... Uh, when our telescopes can actually see the beginning of the universe. In other words, the beginnings in space and in time to the universe. Is that sort of the thing you after or are you, are you, is that it or are you rather looking at end in the terms of edge of the universe? Well, more I suppose in terms of the edge, I get the feeling that if you got to the point where you could okay. see the edge that God would simply extend it beyond your reach. So yes. that the quest would never end. Yes. Well, I mean, one one good point which you are making, one excellent point, is that we will never know everything. I think that as I am speaking to you, uh, the universe is expanding, and so galaxies are coming into our, our, our viewfinder, as it were, our field of view uh, today. Uh, which didn't come into our field of view yesterday. So there's an increasing number. The extent of the visible universe increases each year. So with regard to knowledge, you know there's the SKA being built largely in the uh, Northern Cape. And, you know, that's a huge stride forward and it's billions of euros worth. But that will have its limits. The Hubble Space Telescope is sending back, as we are celebrating today, the 25th top images. You know, it comes back, never with the most extraordinary um, limits um, of knowledge. But they are not, you know, the limits are finite. In other words, there's always more. 
Even when studying the sun, Neville, we don't know all the answers. You know, for example, a person might phone in and say to me, when will the next auroral display be? And the answer is, I don't know. I can't predict it. We, the sun is too dynamic for me to predict. And I think that as Daniel did pen those words, you know, people will be running to and fro and there'll be an increase in knowledge. There is an exponential increase in knowledge. But in astronomy, I would say that if every single telescope stopped working now, in other words, every single telescope on Earth and on in space stopped working this moment, we would have right now enough data to study to keep us busy for thousands of years. I mean, that is the sort of stream of data flow we have, is that there are terabytes streaming in second by second. So, you know, with regard to the images, I mean, I myself have got so many images, and it's quite normal for an astronomer just to touch a dozen or two, and they might keep him busy nearly his entire life if you really untangle it. So there's just that there's that wonder. You know, it's just like walking on a beach and coming across a seashell. You come across one, but then the next day when you walk on the beach, you come across another one, and so forth. So there's always this increase in knowledge, but this frantic increase in knowledge is very largely due to the um, the discovery, uh, Neville, of the, uh, you know, the digital era. Um, it is just so easy now for the Hubble Space Telescope to send us images down to Earth from space. It's just as easy, I suppose, as Googling something or as sending someone at the South Pole an SMS wishing them a blessed Christmas. So this increasing knowledge is very, very real. And also, Neville, what is very, very real is that people are running to and fro. I mean, uh, I, I am sure you have traveled extensively. I know you have, uh, but to the UK in particular and so forth. And it's to and fro. It's a hither and thither. There's almost a frantic mood behind this all, behind the increase in knowledge. And that's why I have my show, Neville, here on Cliff Central is I would like people listening with us today to take a step back in silence, but also in wonder, just to look and not only to look at the images, but as our sound engineer so brilliantly said, to look at the wonder, he says, behind the wonder. He says to me, it's almost as if he can see God in those images. Now, that is a sentiment which has been expressed by some of our greatest minds. So Duncan's right in that camp. But... I don't know if you agree with me, Neville, that one needs to sort of move from the wonder to the wonder behind the wonder. How did the universe itself come into being? Does that thought ever cross your mind? Yes, it has to when you have to take the Stephen Hawking type view and say, okay, let's assume it might have happened yes. in a discriminate way. And yes. Then, when you look at the order in it and the order throughout it, not yes. just in our solar system, then you have to say, no, this, it, this is just too clever. Yes. I mean, one of the things that boggles my mind is this thing, as I understand it, that the face of the moon that shines towards Earth is yes. the same face forever. That's correct. That, and, and how could you get such precision? It's more precision than a... You know, an Omega watch sort of thing. Yes. This thing yes. Exactly, yes. exactly in time with the Earth's yes. rotation so that they just face each other like that. Yes. That, that. That itself is amazing. And it it's is. It's not possible, 
you know, by chance, I wouldn't think so. Well, the odds against it. Yes. The interesting thing there, Neville, is that what you're pointing to are the fine tunings in gravity. Uh, you know, for example, the moon being locked into the Earth's gravitational force field. Uh, and that is true. The gravitational force field is but one of um, uh, many forces which are very, very finely tuned. Uh, you know, when I look at gravity... Uh, the universe could have, exp- if the universe, let me put it this way, think of the universe as an expanding balloon. Right. If the universe expanded too quickly, we would not exist because there'd be no time for galaxies to form. Uh, the universe would be expanding just too fast for that to happen. And if the universe were expanding too slowly, it would collapse possibly to a black hole uh, long before we would have uh, been here. And so the question that I am here at Cliff Central really is a very important one. The very fact that you and I, that there's a Neville uh, listening and asking questions and Dave answering them, it, you know, the fact that we're here is actually quite miraculous. I think that also is looking at the wonder behind the wonder is why are we here? And, you know, as a scientist, I can say, well, we are here because there's been an incredible fine-tuning of all the fundamental forces, um, gravity, as you've pointed out, and the electromagnetic force field in the atom and so forth. But what I'm trying to say is this, I think. I'm trying to say that, you know, yes, for example, you comment on the force of gravity being finely tuned, and that's absolutely correct. But to me, then, we need to look at why is this so. In other words, somehow Stephen Hawking was never able to move uh, beyond the wonder to the wonder behind the wonder. And I believe, as I was speaking to Professor Freeman this morning, I believe one of the reasons is that when it comes to uh, matters spiritual things such as um, you know visions and the revelations are revelations. In other words, I cannot teach somebody that God exists. I can perhaps give them proof of His existence, but I cannot actually. There's that deep question um, which I often ponder about called revelation. Is that God reveals himself to those who seek him. There's that revelation in the wonder behind the wonder. What are your thoughts about that, Neville? I think that's a key point, is that God says, if you seek me, you will find me, if you speak from me with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Because because it's spiritual, you know, you can never rationalize you it. Can't you can't rationalize it, no. The mind of a hawking Mm-hmm. To get to the point of saying there is a God, it has to be a spiritual understanding. Yes, I believe. Yes, and I you think... have to be seeking God, believing there must be a God. Right, you know, reveal yourself, Lord. You know, and right. there He is. You know, right. I think that that is where Hawking and I really, uh, you know, really differed so much. Is I had the most. Awesome time with him, as you know, and I salute him as being one of the world's, if not the world's most famous and greatest living scientist. But I think that, you know, he said to me, when we die, the computer gets switched off. And my immediate uh, comment was, well, who made the computer and who switches it off? Uh, 
You know, to me, as Duncan said, the wonder behind the wonder, to me, the fact that one is alive, that we can ask questions, that we are actually here is sort of starting to scratch the surface of wonder behind the wonder. But with regard to wonder behind the wonder is the very central theme of Revelation. And I think this is where people like Hawking and Dawkins uh, come unstuck, is that they are trying to rationalize God into their box. And God cannot be rationalized. I would think that, you know, they have enough intellect to see that as, as these wonders are revealed to them, as the one you, what you've been explaining about yes. from Hubble and so on, yes. as they're more and more revealed, they, they ought to become some kind of revelation that, that this, this cannot all just be by chance. Right. And, and also this thing about, you know, you switch off like a computer. You know, that's another thing I always thought, that, you know, you accumulate so much knowledge in your life. Yes. And your mind, yes. in your case, is so filled with so many wonders. Yes. And then you just suddenly switch off. It yes. It didn't sort of make sense. I thought that knowledge must continue to exist somewhere. Yes. And that, of course, yes. is, you know, the spirit of man that lives on, as we believe. You know, that's we're hoping right. to know it's all dead now. That's right. I could never yes. accept that all yes. The stuff, your body just drops away, but that all these thoughts must still be there, yes. even before I believed. Yes. That's how I thought, you know, yes. knowledge and stuff that you have in your mind, it, it must still be somewhere. I would, I would really agree with that, but I would, I would say that at the heart of all of this is this, ju- is just simply this deep, uh, revelation. It really is a revelation. I passed a museum, Neville, the other day, and I saw a little poem. It's not really a poem. I don't know who it's by, but it's called Human Spirit. And I want to share it with our listeners today. It says, the human spirit is not just for heroes. It's inside us. That strength to push on, inspiring greatness, it shows us what we can become to follow in the footsteps of giants. It gives us the belief and asks us how far we will go for what we ache for. It takes us to the outer limits of our imagination, knowing that tomorrow will be conquered. And that's why we do not sponsor mountain biking or rugby. We sponsor the human spirit. And I just thought that is incredible. What, you know, you're speaking about knowledge and knowledge just passing away. But there's that pardon within us, within Duncan. That's the spiritual side of us. That is the side which does wonder, which does ask the central questions. Even within Dawkins and Hawkins's mind, it's the spirit within them asking those incredible questions. Why are we here? Where are we going to? Where do I belong in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I think if we just evolved, I would doubt that that process would be taking place in our minds. Why would it evolve into that questioning way? We would simply evolve to be able to adapt to our environment and to conquer it. I can't see how you would have an evolution of a, of the spirit yes. of itself. Yes, yes. Now, I, and you know, I just have in front of me, Neville, 
um, the top 25 again, and I've got one of the most beautiful images uh, taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. And for all our listeners, do Google it, Hubble Top 25 Saturn. It is really just awesome. And it takes me back, you know, Neville, to the day, uh, the year 1976, when uh, I did look at Saturn through a telescope. And uh, I guess now we're just seeing so much more. And as Neville had said, you know, knowledge is just increasing at an incredible rate. But when you look at this image of Saturn through the Hubble Space Telescope, and Duncan will just zoom it up for me a little bit, is that you'll see that the rings are not solid. The rings consist of myriads of tiny particles. And that's very interesting. What happened is that an icy moon came very close to Saturn within the inner Roche limit. And it broke the particles up into billions of other little particles. It broke the icy moon up into billions of other particles. But again, Duncan, I'm very interested to know. Answer me this because you're giving the most profound answers today. So profound that I'll write a book just on what you're saying. (laughs) Is that um, what does this image of Saturn do to you as someone who's not an astronomer? Uh, Someone who's not an astronomer, Professor, I would say... Uh, it really looks plain to me. Nothing exciting happens on uh, on Saturn. Okay, it appears to me. Is there a sense of beauty, simplicity, simplicity? That's what okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's really neat. Uh, is that Duncan is looking at this image of Saturn and he sees simplicity, and uh, that's also looking uh, at the wonder behind the wonder is. Maybe in your life and mine, we complexify too many issues. We could learn a lesson from Saturn. Yes, well, that's very neat. Um, you know, maybe if, for example, you look at the life of Jesus, for example, he led a very simple life. He never traveled by air. There were no aircraft. He never went in. He never went more than, I don't know, a couple of, you know, tens of kilometers or more, you know, but not far, certainly not to other, you know, uh, big countries and stuff, never crossed the oceans. But, but, but the life was simple. And I think that one of the areas which creates a tremendous degree of stress in your life, Duncan, and mine is the fact that our lives are no longer simple. They are highly complexified. I mean, Duncan, if you think in the morning when you wake up of all the things you have to do and the race and the franticness of it all, doesn't it give you – I mean, it can. It doesn't need to – I'm not necessarily homing in on you, but I'm saying in general, can't that give one a, a feeling of great stress and how will I cope with the demands of today? We are living in a very demandful world uh, time. Yes, and age, professor. And just thinking about what you have to do for the rest of the day, for the rest of the month. Yes. You just want to crawl up somewhere and just be there forever. Yes. Yes. And I think that, you know, that is right. I mean, you know, psychologists well realize that there's that fight and flee syndrome. And, uh, one does often want to just crawl up into a little, little, little box. And I remember a teenager the other day saying to me, if only uh, a teenager by name Savannah, and Savannah said, if only I could just be a little girl again and just crawl up under the blankets and just be. And so what you are saying, Duncan, is maybe the image of certainty some telling us something very important is that maybe it should be a return 
to a life not only of wonder, but one of more simplicity, one where we're not addicted to things, but where we can be love one another, rather be addicted to relationships and to encouraging one another. What do you have to say to that, Duncan? I'm just closely looking at the picture again, Professor, yes. and I can't help but wonder yes. why the ring around Saturn is in the middle and not yes. on top. Or at the bottom. Okay. Why aren't there three rings, Professor? Okay. Why just okay. one? That's a very interesting question that Duncan has raised. And so what happened is a moon, a ball of ice, came very close to Saturn. Gravity caused it to break up into billions of particles, and they started spinning round Saturn mm. in the shape of a ring, because there was one moon. Okay. And so the one moon split up into billions of little particles, and they started turning around and around in Saturn, and they've stabilized now to form uh, a ring. Neville's back on the line. Yes, Neville, your question. Okay, Neville's disappeared again, so we don't have Neville on the line again. But to return to Duncan's thoughts, I think are amazing is that I suppose when I was 16, I did live a life of great simplicity compared to today, a greater, far less demands on one's time than today. What does increase the demand so much, Duncan, is I do a lot of speaking and traveling, as you know, and it's it's not impossible at all today when you're at a hotel to find a telephone in the bathroom. And I just believe that that's the last place that you need your telephone. What are your thoughts, Duncan, about being reached in the bathroom? Look, uh, Professor, emergencies do come up. Of course. And in this day and age, we always need to be connected to someone <laughs> or something. Well, that's interesting. I mean, we do. But the point is, emergencies do come up. But let me just tell you something about the Mandela magic, the Madiba magic, just to put it in perspective. Here was a man, when I met him for the first time, he was receiving about 30,000 requests per month for people to see him. So there were many emergencies. But when Mr. Mandela saw you, he saw, listen, you. He never, ever, ever went onto a telephone when I walked into his room, the first thing he did was, is he came into the room, I stood up, and he looked me in the eye. Never forget that. He actually looked me in the eye. And for the first time when I met him, I met him for one hour. One hour. And it was a time when there was huge tensions uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, Boris Yeltsin and others, and there were huge, huge tensions around the world. Uh, many countries almost going up in flames. So, here's a guy born from in Krugersdorp. Okay? Uh, just me, just Dave Block. And here is Mr. Mandela, and there are emergencies around the world. However, for the hour he uh, penciled in for me, he gave me his undivided eye contact and his undivided attention because I was more important to him than any other emergency. And that is very rare. I mean, you know, a person like Mr. Mandela, you'd think he'd be on the phone all the time. 
But what does it tell you, Duncan? How would it feel if you walked into a room? Just imagine you were me, and he's walking into a room, and here is someone, uh, you know, uh, Clinton can call him, and any of the U.S. presidents can call him, and Russia's going up in flames, and yet his phone is off. What does that sort of tell you? What message would you come away with, Duncan? Uh, honestly, I would think that the, the, the gentleman has time Mm. And he sees value in people. Yes, I would agree with the second one is he does have time. You'd think he didn't have time, but he did have time. But the important one is point number two. He sees the value of people. Yep. Carry on. So uh, with him seeing value in you, he will obviously give you the time that you need. And uh, he also listens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's not just about him. I think he, 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 he was able just to, uh, put himself out there and be available yeah. for whatever you need him for. Yeah. And I think that's so important is how few people can, uh, or how many people, Duncan, can I really call upon today, uh, to listen to me? Fortunately, I do have those whom I can call upon and they will listen to me. But the point is, in general, in general, when you walk into a room today, you do not get the response which you got with Mr. Mandela at all. It's very rare to walk into a room, uh, especially with someone of that caliber and they're not on their phones. And I think, Duncan, what it said to me is, you know, and I'm just speaking now for myself. It said, Duncan, to me, well, maybe Dave Block's thoughts are important. Hmm. Maybe Dave, what Dave Block has to say is important to my thought life. Maybe what Dave Block has to say is highly relevant to a new way in which I might observe myself or my country or others. And that's been the case with me, is that people have been in my presence, sometimes once, sometimes twice, sometimes many times, but they've come away motivated and they've come away totally changed. So was that an emergency on my part? No, it wasn't an emergency. So the point was, with Mr. Mandela listening to me like this, is it just made me feel that my questions, but most of, not only my questions, but most of all, the person David Block somehow counted as the Hubble was producing these incredible sets of images. There was a person, person, David Block, and his voice counted. We've been going non-stop for nearly 40 minutes. So, Duncan, I think it's time for a wee little music break.
I just love my listeners reaching me by, uh, you know, WeChat, for example, is just streaming in. And I think, and then also Neville, I'll be coming to him in a moment. Um, Candice, Candice K. I don't know, Candice K. If I'm pronouncing your little uh, acronym correctly, C-A-N-D-Z-K. Candy K, I think that's just awesome. But she, um, but Candy's K says, Prof, I love image number 12 of the butterfly. I know exactly which one you mean, but Duncan's going to bring it up, uh, that one there. I just think it is awesome. And let's just read her question again, please, Duncan. Uh, she just says, and I just think you're so smart here, Casey. K-Z-K K-Z-K How do you pronounce this, Duncan? Come on, help the professor uh, I think you were right, Kansi K, professor Kansi K, alright, uh, I need help The professor sometimes needs help But she's, but she or he, is it a he or she? Kansi must be a girl, K. professor Okay, alright You see, you see, I need help uh, When it comes to the modern names on WeChat I'm not always sure of the sex <laughs> I mean, I really need help. I mean, I'm trained in relativistic astrophysics, but when it comes to Kanzi K, I've got no idea if this is a male or a female, and I need help. I'm just lost with the sexual aspects of these names, Dunk. And so, that you say this is indeed a female. Mm, indeed. You know, I was filling in a form the other day. I don't know what it was for, but they said they had three options for sex. They had male, female, and the third one surprised me. It said other. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure exactly what this means, but uh, anyway, I suppose that the mysteries of relativistic astrophysics are simple compared to the sexual annotations of being male, female, or other. But uh, Kenzie K says she loves the image of the butterfly. And then just listen to this. She can just stretch her imagination far enough to visualize this force hurtling through space. So epic, so fantastic. Oh, Kenzie K, I just think that really drives me wild. <laughs> I think that it drives me into the realms of imagination. It drives me into the realms of butterflies being born, not only in the microcosm, but in the macrocosm. You are so right. It stretches your imagination. It stretches my imagination. Wow, that is an awesome WeChat comment. Professor, I need to know, how does this uh, kind of a thing or picture just mm. come along? It looks like two things colliding, yeah. an explosion. Just uh, yeah. take me through it, please. So let's just take you through the uh, this image of the butterfly. And this object does indeed look like a butterfly. Now, at the very heart, at the very center, Duncan, is a star which is dying. Uh, a star whose mass was about five times that of the sun. Yes, it even says that there. And it was, it's dying. And the wings are gas. In other words, gas is being ejected into space as the star is dying. And so as the gas is ejected into space, it's been ejected to the left, if you like, and to the right. And so it's created this awesome uh, force field, gas and cosmic gas and dust particles being ejected into space. 
And I just, you know, these things are traveling at thousands of kilometers an hour. And uh, it does indeed look like an awesome butterfly. And it does cause the imagination to stretch, just like uh, our producer, Palisa, is uh, stretching, isn't she, Duncan? Yeah. She's stretching. Is it Palisa? I can't see well. It is. But, it is. Okay. But the important thing is that of imagination. Well done, Casey. Cans, give it to me, Duncan. Kansy K. Kansy K. Kansy K. I'll get it right next time. You keep on asking questions, and Kansy K. I think your images, I think your comment is good enough to go into Britannica. I mean, it just drives me wild. Well, inappropriate says, I've heard those words, Prof, but what do they mean? Well, they drive me wild. I mean, I can expand on that if you need to next time. Just say, Prof. Just explain exactly what you mean. They drive me wild. They send me into another zone, a zone of imagination, a zone of thought, a zone of reaching for tomorrow. Welcome back, Neville. Yes, Professor. Just going back to your complexity of life story yes. a little bit yes. earlier on. Um, you know, I left school due to home circumstances at six. And I worked for three years on the farm in Scotland and very, very hard work. Yes. But no intellectual challenge, obviously, but I happen to enjoy physical work. But what I found during that time, there's absolutely no stress. There's no emotional stress of any sort. Yes. Not like, as you're saying, there is today. Yes. And, but my mind somewhat atrophied during that time because when I went back to study at the age of 19, mm-hmm. I found I'd completely lost knowledge of calculus and logarithms interesting and the memory of them mm-hmm. never came back to me i had to relearn from scratch yes when i went back to study mm-hmm. so i was just saying that when life is simple you know then you know your mind doesn't have the challenges it needs to grow but what so do you think for example mind, what do you think for example sorry to interject but this is very important what do you think for example of the shepherds in the field and the announcement by the angels. I mean, it was a very simple life and yet a very complex life because they were open in their simplicity to the grandeur of revelation. Isn't that important? Absolutely. But I think because there were such simple lives that were living, that when anything untoward occurred... it would be kind of revelatory to them and yes, there would be a greater true. interest than it would if it happened to sure. someone today. Sure. Because they think like, it's just another one of these things, you know. But now, what is your comment about the complexity of life? Because we're running out of time. We've got no, about two and a half I'm minutes. I'm saying that the co- modern complexity keeps your mind challenged, you know. Mm-hmm. So I find like today, I spend six, eight hours a day reading and learning for no other purpose than that. I just have this need to absorb knowledge. Wonderful. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I was back on the farm and working, I just wouldn't have that. And, of course, we didn't have computers or anything. No, so, no. you know, there was no stimulation of your mind. And it definitely it, it exists at a, a lower level. Yes. Your intellect simply... Now, you know, Neville, how would you feel? I mean, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. But to me, technology has the upside, as it does in your life. But it also has the downside. I mean, for example, when I would walk into a room and you would be there with Margaret, I would, uh, you would have eye contact with me, and the yeah. phone and the computer would be off. So I suppose the central lesson here is technology has to be one's slave rather than one's master. Is that what we're saying? 
Absolutely so, because, uh, you know, you find it today if you're traveling or anywhere in any room and all the youngsters are busy texting, no matter what's going on, so you don't feel that there's an involvement if you're in a group. Right, sort. right. They're and not really involved. They're involved with yeah. what they're doing, yeah. they're texting their friends, and, and, and this is endemic now, I find. Right, you know? and I think that what is so incredible about these Hubble uh, images, there's one that Duncan's just brought up over here of the Eta Carina Nebula. And again, I just look at it, Neville, and I just see wonder. I just see, oh, what do you see? Just bring this up, uh, Duncan. What do you see in this image? These swirling colors and what does it tell you about art and science and the complexity Neville's talking about? Uh, it looks like magic to me. Wow. I know there's no, there's no magic on Earth, but right. out of space, Professor, on the Hubble yes. telescope, this looks like pure magic. Yes. To me. Yes. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to conclude with is that, uh, magic, you know, Duncan is saying he's not really finding a lot of magic, uh, down here, but uh, he's finding so much magic up there. Is that correct, Duncan? That is correct, Professor. And so, magic. And so I'd like to leave you with that connotation that this coming week, until we meet next week, try and have your life filled with magic. In other words, with awe. In other words, with knowledge, as Neville has said. In other words, with purpose, with wonder. You know, we've only had time to discuss about two images today, two or three at most. And Duncan's just saying, wow, wow, wow. So let next week perhaps be a continuation of this week. And we ask um, our uh, expert professor in studio, Duncan. Uh, you know, but he's really just asking me questions which I just enjoy. I appreciate. As I leave you today, always look up in wonder, be filled with the magic of the universe. Professor David Block signing out. Cliffcentral.com.